Okay, it's my great pleasure to have in the studio with me this evening, Claire Vanderplank. She's engaged with a project called Weapons of Mass Creation, and she's doing a PhD on the slow movement and some other bits and pieces that we'll get to as well. Thanks for joining us tonight, Claire. Thank you. So, the slow movement. Um, I've just rushed from my day job <laughs> madly down the freeway. Likewise. A uh, bit of a... Uh, intravenous uh, coffee into my veins before I could uh, could get here. Um, I know that's probably not the best thing for me. Is that kind of, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, the opposite of what, you, what you're talking about? <laughs> well, you know what? It's actually not necessarily so because slow is really about finding balance. Um, and since we're here to sort of talk about all things activism, there is a role to be said for finding what's the right speed for the right moment. So it's not saying, no, you never should feel a sense of urgency or you never should, you know, push to get something done, but it's trying to come to an understanding of what's the right, what's the right tempo um, for the activity or the time or the season that it is. Um, and it's also about not just how fast you do things, so it's not just being slow in terms of time, but also about how you are, how you... Yeah, your way of being, really. So it's about ends up being about presence and stillness and centeredness, which can also happen actually while you're in motion. So there's quite a few dimensions to slow. <laughs> that's uh, that's very interesting. You know, I'm kind of uh, encouraged, uh, I guess, by that response. Uh, to be honest with you, and I hope our listeners are also encouraged uh, in that this isn't just a. a, a an everyday hippie we're talking to here, uh, someone who's who's thought deeply about these things. Obviously, we had actually you, uh, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking of a an interview we had uh, last year sometime with a kind of fellow activist. She was uh, doing a PhD on Slack. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely some some echoes echoes there. So you know, talk to us a bit more. You know, what is the history of the slow movement? Um, you know, tease it out a bit more for us. Mm. Um. It, well, it's a very good question, actually, to talk about the history of slow because I think when you look at how slow evolved in that, you can understand what slow is about. So I think of slow as really sort of like a cultural immune system response to the fact that we've developed such a fast, privileging culture and also the fact that our tempo of life has actually uh, just physically increased as well. And that's something which I don't think we really appreciate the impacts of or how deep or how dramatic and how profound those impacts are. So with these kind of things, there never is a particular one point. You can say this is how fast started to emerge, but certainly once we developed tools to um, measure time, that's where a dramatic shift occurred in terms of our relationship to time. So, you know, once you can measure time, you start to perceive it differently. So other cultures haven't necessarily seen time as chronological. However, once we could measure the linear aspect of time, that's dominated our perception. Um, Coming to mind for me is actually I did a bit of uh, work as a as a young and in a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, and my uh, my sifu in the uh, the restaurant, my master <laughs> chef, was uh, taught me about time science. It was actually really quite an interesting you know life lesson for me actually in, in just being efficient. And obviously, you know there is value in you know efficiency, and this is where the the nuance comes into what we're talking about here. But I guess that does bring to mind obviously fast food. I mean that's got to yeah. be a, you know yeah. a, a big kind of you know 
uh, you know, oppositional kind of movement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where the slow movement started. So the story of the slow movement was with Slow Food when the founder of Slow Food saw a McDonald's being built on the steps of the piazza in Rome. So to Italians, you know, food is such an integral part of the culture. So when this guy saw it happening, he, he saw immediately that it wasn't just about, um, you know, the health impacts of fast food, but it certainly was about our social relationships and cultural diversity. Uh, yeah, cultural diversity. So valuing the local um, is a huge part of the slow food movement. And then, of course, also the sustainability impacts on the planet sort of aspect of it as well. So within slow, you see an appreciation of what it takes to be healthy in yourself, in your relationships, and then also more broadly um, with the planet as well. So let's take that out to <laughs> the planet. Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware uh, of the, the voices, uh, I, I guess the, the Alex Wisson, who's probably not going to be with us tonight, who uh, you know? I have a beautiful relationship with. We have a bit of fun, and you know, mm-hmm. him calling me a hippie and me calling him a you know a, a staid Marxist. But uh, you know <laughs> the uh, you know what what do you say to I guess some of the antagonism there of of uh, you know, and it's not just from you know from the left uh, left types. It's from all kinds of people like, with that hippie kind of label. Oh, in terms of looking after the planet. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and that, that balance Sorry. between looking after self and looking after the planet. You know? Well, I guess that's a false dichotomy, yeah. you know, I guess is, is the place I start. I mean, really what I'm looking at with slow is that uh, essentially if we follow the principles of slow to their utmost, really it's leading us back to a sense of interconnectedness. Um, so specifically what I'm looking at with the PhD is how our sense of self changes when we implement slow principles. Um because at the moment when we're in a worldview of separation that sees us as a skin-encapsulated ego, basically, <laughs> or a bubble of psychology trapped in a body. Consumer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a worldview of separation goes hand-in-hand hand, um, with a fast culture as well. But, and that's sort of another tangent. Um, but, yeah, really slow leads us to a worldview of interconnectedness because once you experience the self as a set of relationships. So I do not exist except for everything else. Like, you know, some of those really yeah, profound Buddhist teachings, you know, about yourself being a, a wave in an ocean. Like, yeah, you can talk about the wave, but it is actually inseparable to the ocean. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm looking at. And really once you reach, to the, reach that uh, level of awareness or that quality of awareness, you that idea that there's a tension between what's best for me and what's best for the planet, that becomes a null and void argument because it's one and the same thing. Okay, so it's great to talk about this in theory. Mm -hmm. What are some of the the, the tools and ways that people can access slow in this mad world? Yeah, well, one thing that I'm doing with the PhD is trying to refine out um, a set of slow principles, which that's kind of my goal is to make the slow movement practical and implementable because even though a lot's been written about the slow movement and it certainly seems to resonate with a lot of people, you know, once slow food started, all of a sudden that, that slow was being used as a meme and being picked up and spread, but the meme of slow has yet to be really unpacked. Um, so that's what I'm looking at. Um, and my <laughs> draft set of principles, uh, you know, s- start with the foundations of being present and being receptive, connecting to self, connecting to others, 
finding balance or in my terms be an agent of balance and that starts to be where some of the uh, activism aspects of slow come in as well um, and honour natural rhythms and cycles to help guide you f- find the right speed. But I guess one of my, you know, the biggest things that I talk about and, and do and facilitate are helping people have slow experiences because slow is not something you can just understand by thinking about it. It has to be felt because that is actually one of the things that slow encourages is a reunion of the mind and the body and getting over the head-based bias or the masculine bias. So many you know, ways of describing this the kind of uh, imbalance <laughs> that we find in those kind of respects. Um, yeah, so the main way I do that is through offering like immersive experiences in nature because nature really helps you along the way a lot. Uh, yeah, so it's sort of deep practice in nature. Chatting off air, you mentioned, uh, you know, as far as the green movement goes, the environmental movement goes, it's... Uh, you know, I wonder um, how in touch a lot of my, you know, staunch activist green friends are with, you know, with some of the, you know, I guess the roots, the green roots, uh, <laughs> which with which they, uh, which with which the environmental movement started. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of what I do, the my my teacher for these nature retreats, or the organisation is called Way of Nature. The founder of the Way of Nature was actually one of the grandfathers of the environmental movement back in the 60s in the States. So he was actually a professional ecologist, was one of the first ecologists to work, was the first ecologist to work at the White House, really instrumental in introducing lots of important pieces of legislation, uh, was a co-founder of Friends of the Earth, uh, you know, just had many roles to play in the environmental movement. But he got to the point that he came to the same conclusion that I have is that none of this goes deep enough and it's not going to work until we change the relationship that we have with the planet fundamentally. So looking at our worldviews and our sense of self, basically. But because through his life he did have an amazing um, set of spiritual teachers, really, and he was part of Native Americans, so his spiritual practice was always rooted in nature and uh, through his private life had be- already begun to take people out into nature and he was observing the effects that this had on those people's lives and he, you know, came to realise that that inner transformation that that work makes possible is really where we need to, it's not the silver bullet, but it's certainly changing our relationship to the planet and our sense of self has to be part of, has to be part of the story.